following message is from First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. For more information about our church, please visit us at firstpresbyteriansf.org. Our reading is from Jonah 1. Now the word of the I Am came to Jonah and the son of Abed, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose with sleep, departed from the presence of the I Am. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarnish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarnish away from the presence of the I Am. But the I Am held a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and cried out to each of his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, dear sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us, and we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, and that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the I am, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the I am, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the I am, Oh, I am, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not us innocent blood, for you, O I am, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the I am exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the I am and made vows. And the I am appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Interesting to hear your voice on the microphone. Um, Okay, so we're going to be examining the book of Jonah today. Uh, Very excited. I love this book. Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and hopefully we'll see why today. But um, there's interesting things about it. It's actually, people have trouble understanding Jonah. Like, if you you look at modern interpretations of Jonah, um, and... And in the Old Testament in general, you realize that a lot of times people read it and they don't really understand what's going on. Uh, this, in our Bible study right now, we're studying Revelation, which is kind of fun. Uh, and Re- Revelation uh, illustrates this point even better. Uh, you, can't, you, you, look up, you open the book of Revelation, you read it, and it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like what, what are all these creatures with these horns? And what is this imagery and what's going on? And I think one of the reasons why we have trouble understanding Revelation and we have trouble understanding Jonah and, all, and, and a lot of the other books of the Bible is we don't treat the Bible as a complete book. It's not 
uh, you know, if you sit down and read Revelation just by itself, and that was the only thing you ever read, you're never going to get it. Uh, The same is true with Jonah, but yet, for some reason, a lot of times, we try to do that. We try to look at Jonah in isolation. We try to pick him apart and see, hey, what's the moral of this story? What What is Jonah saying to us? And we just look at Jonah and... Uh, modern biblical scholars do this sometimes. They look at Jonah, they try to analyze it, and they just kind of segment it off, and they look at it, and, and they don't know what's going on here. This is kind of strange. And in fact, some of them even say, why is this in the Bible? Like, what is this fish story, <laughs> this giant fish story doing in the Bible? Did, was some Bible writer at one point really gullible about this fish story and put it in the Bible? And a lot of that is because we don't approach the scriptures with a, a understanding of their completeness. So let's go before our Father right now and pray. And let's pray that he would show us the complete narrative of scripture through Jonah. Um, Father, we come before you today and we pray that you would diminish uh, not only my speaking here, but also uh, our own sort of perceptions that we bring to the Bible. Let's diminish them. And let's have you tell us how to read the scriptures, Father. Let's have you show us how to read them. You expound them for us. You tell us what you were saying through Jonah's life. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. All right. So if we are going to understand Jonah, uh, let's get a little bit of background here. Um, Jonah is a prophet. What's very interesting about Jonah being a prophet um, that that scholars notice pretty quickly is that he doesn't really have any visions. Like, there's not a ton of prophecy here. Like, you can see it. There's, you see a couple of times. Jonah preaches, like, one line in chapter 4. And he preaches one line in chapter 1. And where's the prophecy? Like, if you read Isaiah, and if you read Daniel, and if you read Ezekiel, and all the other prophets, basically, you can see they have pages and pages of elaborate visions and prophecy to tell you what's going to happen. Look to the future in, in this number of Daniels, in this many years, in this many weeks, you're going to see these things happen in these kingdoms. I mean, there's lots of prophecy. Why doesn't Jonah have any prophecy? Modern scholars, like, struggle with this. But, you know, it's easy. I like to pick on academic scholars. But, uh, you know, the church does this, too. They take the book of Jonah and they isolate it. And... Uh, you'll learn the story, you'll read the story, you'll look at it, and you'll see that it, it, what's the moral we can get from Jonah? How um, can we understand Jonah if we read it? And there's this, well, clearly, like, when we read Jonah and we see the story, uh, we look at it, we see that the moral of the story must be, oh, stick to God's plan, or you'll get swallowed by a fish. <laughs> and, you know, we laugh. That's kind of funny. But, I mean, practically speaking, we do kind of treat it that way. It's like if we don't, if we're not in, if we're not paying attention to God's plan, we might end up in the middle of the ocean, swallowed by a fish, you know, whatever that represents in your life. If we miss God's plan, we might be punished. It might be bad for us. And that's kind of true. But it's not really what Jonah is about. Um... So let's see if we can figure out what Jonah is about, this prophet who doesn't really prophesy. Um, You can see immediately that he's called to the great city, and he's reluctant. Uh, What is this great city? Um, Nineveh, a little more background, Nineveh at the time 
was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrian Empire, when this book was written in 800 BC, was the largest empire that had ever existed in the history of mankind up until that point. Nineveh was one of the largest cities that had ever existed in the history of mankind up to that point. Um, uh, so it was the capital of this Assyrian Empire. It was great. God says it was great, and he was right. It was great in size of people. It was great in, ge in geography. And it was a very large, massive, sprawling city. It was great uh, in influence, because it was the capital of sort of the political center of the world. It was highly influential. So when we start to understand what Nineveh was, we can understand why God sent him there a little bit. It's like, God cares for this cultural center of the world, even though it's not an Israeli city. In fact, the fact that it's not an Israelite city is kind of why Jonah doesn't want to go there. Um, the Assyrians are bad guys. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Michael Eisner likes to say this, uh, and I appreciate this because I'm a little bit of a nerd, but he says, the Assyrians are the Klingons of the Old Testament. <laughs> Uh, and what he means by this is uh, they're, they're warriors. They're cruel, evil conquerors. Uh, and Jonah doesn't want to go there because Israel and Assyria are enemies. These are the bad guys. And God's sending Jonah. It's, Jonah, why don't you send me to the Israelites? Why are you sending me to the Assyrians? Uh, he gets upset and he runs away. Uh, you know, as if, as if that were possible. I mean, the text almost seems to say this. Is he ran from the presence of the I am. You know. As if that was something you could actually do. Um, so, but when we understand that background a little bit, it helps us understand how what Jonah's thinking, what's going on, and and because uh, you know it's easy to look and see uh, and make this about ourselves, but we have to at least know the context of Jonah's preaching too, and what his life and why he's running. So, um, there's other things in here that we kind of miss a lot. Uh, when, when we approach, when we look at Jonah's life and in the process of running, he ends up on the sea. Um, the sea is not a metaphor that a lot of us like understand very well. Not a ton of us are sailors. We do have some sailors in here. Um, but most of us don't spend a lot of time out on the open ocean. Uh, we certainly don't spend a lot of time out on the open ocean in ancient ships with no keels. And uh, like the sea is incredibly, like, is still today an incredibly dangerous occupation if you're a sailor. But back then it was way more dangerous. Um, and, and, and you can look at all, a lot of the ancient writings and the contemporaries and you can see even in, in Jonah when he's singing uh, inside the belly of the whale later on uh, in the text that's printed earlier, the sea is dead. Um, it's, we look at the sailors, they're, 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 they're frightened because of the storm. They're frightened because of what's going on. Um, they're dropping their cargo, they're desperate, they're rowing really hard. Uh, and the reason that is, is they understand that this is a life or death situation. And this sort of understanding of the sea as being a life or death situation is something that the ancient people would have got pretty quickly. He is, and, and Jonah says this explicitly, I am down to Sheol, I'm down to death. Though your waves pass over me. <laughs> you know, uh, this, he's quoting a lot of the Psalms there when he's saying that, but the sea, Jonah's uh, uh, floating on the sea and, and, and under the power of, of uh, this isolating factor of being out in the middle of the sea and having no control or power over your situation brings the sailors to their knees. 
Look how they react. They're desperate. They're rolling dice to see what to do. Like, and, and, and you can look at that and you can say, oh, that's really primitive. <laughs> like, us modern people would never do that. That's actually not true. There's plenty of examples, even in American shipping history, where uh, ships go down in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and they're floating for days and they, they roll dice to see what to do. Uh, the Essex, a, ship out, a whaling ship out of Massachusetts by which Moby Dick is based, the book Moby Dick's based. They did this exact thing. They rolled dice to see who would live or die. Because they were out in the middle of the ocean, they knew they had absolutely no control of the, their situation. Let's pray to, everybody go pray to your God, see which one is right, and we're going to roll dice and figure out which one is right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how desperate they are. And, and uh, have you ever been in this place of desperation before? Have you ever been floating out in the middle of the ocean with no idea, no control, no idea what to do, and so desperate that you're like, well, let's just try something. Um, and Jonah's sleeping in the bottom of the boat, which is really strange. We'll get back to that a little bit. Um, and they come wake him up. Come on, join in with us. You know, try it. Let's try one more God and see if this is the right one. Uh, well, lucky for them. <laughs> uh, it turns out that, that there was a follower of God on the boat. Um, and uh, so Jonah wakes up. He's, he tells them, you know, after a little interchange, and the lot falls. The dice roll shows that him. Why? Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, but uh, Jonah tells them, well, in order for you guys to be saved, just toss me over. Now, the, there's one thing that we kind of, like, it's easy when you read the cartoon Sunday school version to miss on this, but that is a death sentence. When they're tossing him over in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm with no hope of rescue, it's a death sentence. Jonah knows it uh, when he suggests it. The sailors know it too. They try really hard to row for shore so they don't have to. Uh, you know, you can see that even after Jonah says, just toss me in, that'll solve your problems. Uh, they row really hard. No, we're not going to do that. And then they start praying. And it's funny, they don't pray to all their gods. They pray to Jonah's God. They pray to Yahweh. They use his covenant name. Isn't that amazing? Um, uh, it's almost like they're believing that Jonah's, they believe, they believe Jonah off the bat. Jonah tells them, I, I worship the true God, and the reason that this sea is tempestuous is because, um, uh, is, is because I'm running away from his presence, so all you gotta do is get rid of me. But they believe him, and yet they don't wanna kill him because, you know, again, these guys, they don't wanna kill Jonah, they don't wanna, but eventually they relent because they see the sea's not gonna let up, and then, so um, they pray to, to Yahweh, to Jonah's God, to, uh, as it seems like they're almost believing, um, they pray, save this man, let his, or, or, or they don't pray, save this man, let not this innocent blood, let not his blood be on our hands. Um, and, uh, you know, so they throw him in to Jonah's death. Except God sends that giant fish <laughs> that giant fish that modern people have trouble understanding to, to save him and to swallow him up. Um, so you can see how this would be kind of a hard story to understand, even for modern people, even within the church, like if we just knew that. But we don't just know that, do we? Uh, 
Luckily, God gave us lots and lots of the whole Bible uh, for which to help understand what's going on here. And we, if, we, if we go back and look at the story again using that perspective, maybe we can figure out what God actually wants in Jonah being in this book. So let's go back and look. Um, the idea of death and life and God, Jonah being saved out of certain death and coming to life. Um, but also even the smaller events, the, the ones that you may not necessarily, if you hadn't read the rest of the Bible, you wouldn't even notice. Jonah's asleep. Why is Jonah asleep in the bottom of the ship? If you were here when we were preaching over Matthew and Mark, you'll, you'll recognize that this is a very similar story to someone else in the Bible. Um, in Matthew and in Mark, and I think Luke too, I'm not sure. Anyway, point being, in the New, in the New Testament, uh, they record a story of Jesus and the disciples on a boat in the middle of the ocean, or in the middle of the sea, and it's exactly the same, almost. Uh, Jesus is sleeping, there's a giant storm, the sailors and the disciples freak out, they don't know what to do. Um, they run down and wake him up, come up here, like, do you not care if you live or die? And the funny thing about that is, in that story, Jesus scolds them. He says, you of little faith, do you not understand? What a strange thing to say to the disciples after um, uh, being woken up, <laughs> sleeping in the middle of the storm. I mean, this, it's really, you're sleeping in a terrible storm and everybody's scared to death. That's such a strange marker. Why is that marker in common? What, what's going on there? Um, there's another piece of this that's interesting. Casting lots. We actually hear this story in the Bible a lot too. Um, when, when they're casting lots to determine Jonah's fate, um, or, or determine their own fate, basically, uh, there's other stories where, where and, and, and Psalms, and, and even Jesus himself, where he talks about uh, my enemies casting lots. When the soldier, Roman soldiers are getting ready to, to take Jesus to the cross, they cast, they cast, they roll dice to see who gets to keep his clothes. They're casting lots to determine the fate, which is really, really interesting. We see that theme again. Um, the sailors, seeing an innocent man and praying that their blood not be on our hands. <laughs> Is it, if, if, if you're familiar with the stories of the gospel, there's a point in Jesus' life where he's taken to the Roman centurion and uh, Pilate, and, uh, or the, the Roman governor, and Pilate says this almost exact same phrase. I can find no fault in him. Bring me a bowl of water. Let me wash my hands. May his blood be on you and not on me. And you see these patterns, and we start to realize, oh, this story of God Saving someone out of certain death, bringing them to life, saving the sailors. One man must die to save the lives of the sailors. This story continues on throughout the scripture and is a continuous theme through the whole thread of the book. So when the sailors burst out in their response to Yahweh, to Jonah's and ours and, and to the real true God, they're doing so in reaction to one man dying to save the lives of the many. <laughs> so, and, and, and 
McLaren, it, it, like, I get you. I see what you're saying. I see the parallels you're drawing to Jesus, but I'm a little skeptical. This is written 800 years before Jesus ever uh, walked on the earth. Can you really say, can you really say that Jonah's life parallels Jesus? Can you really say that? And I would say, yes, I can. Uh, and the reason that I can say that, and, and now we understand, to, and, we can, and if we can do this, we can, we can learn a little bit about why Jesus reacted the way he did. Let me read you from the, the Gospel of Matthew how Jesus interprets Jonah and see if we're on track. Then some of the scribes, this is, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 uh, through 41. Then, welcome to turn with me if you have your Bibles. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. This is very similar to the, to the phrase he uses with the disciples in the boat. Uh, have you no understanding? <laughs> it's, don't you get it? Uh, so an, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, the men of that great enemy city, will rise up at the judgment at this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. So, how does Jesus read Jonah? Jesus looks at the book of Jonah and says, that's about me. This is the prophet who does not prophesy. The prophet who doesn't have a vision. The prophet who's reluctant to even preach to the bad guys. Um, and Jesus takes his claim when these guys are, when these scribes and Pharisees, by the way, those are religious leaders. The, when the religious leaders come to Jesus and said, hey, give us a sign. Are you really from God? Said, no, you don't get a sign. Look at Jonah. Three days, three nights in the belly of a whale. One man must die to save many, not only the men on the ship, but eventually to save the great city. That's about me. Do we read the scriptures like Jesus does? <laughs> Do we really open up the book uh, and, and look at Revelation or look at Jonah or look at Genesis? Do we read it like this? It also tells you something about who Jesus was because who does that? Who opens up an ancient book, an 800-year-old book, reads the, reads the passage and says, hey, that's about me? Like, sometimes we wonder why, like, it seems, seems like Jesus is being kind of harsh with them. Why, why don't you, harsh with the disciples, harsh with these Pharisees? Why don't you get it? Um, and I sympathize with that a little bit. Because a lot of times, you know, you can look at this situation and think, oh, well, you know, silly them that didn't get it. But a lot of times I don't get it either. Like, sometimes I read this passage and, and it doesn't necessarily, or, or even when I apply it to my life. And when God calls me to go to the great city and 
funny that we're in a cultural center city right now hearing this message. But, but um, and, you know, I complain just like Jonah. I get involved in the same sort of attitude where I don't really believe practically that Jesus really meant this, that he really had a plan of salvation that was so big he wove the threads of his salvation into the fabric and history of humanity. Like, this, is the, this is the center, Jonah's, Jonah's uh, preaching to the center of what is essentially all of civilization at that time. Now, granted, there's lots of other parts of the world in Eastern, this is a bit of a Western perspective, but the point being is to, to the hearers, um, this is the center of the universe. And this political happening, which doesn't seem to be all that related to Israel, he's weaving the fabric. So when I, uh, the weaving the fabric of his salvation into their history, into their story, um, so, that, so that we can see it. And when I apply this in my own life, when I look, I usually have a small picture of Jesus when I come to San Francisco. Is he weaving his plan of salvation into San Francisco right now? This place that's so expensive, where people are, uh, you know, it's impossible to live here, and, and there are bad and evil people here, and there, you know, there's good people here too, but there's all of humanity compressed in here, and, and sometimes my heart just gets, I don't believe it. I don't actually believe in Jesus' plan of salvation um, the way that Jesus does the way that Jonah uh, eventually comes to realize. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's so tempting uh, to think, oh, well, you know, he can, never, he can never do that. He can never save the Ninevites. He can never uh, change the heart of the reluctant prophet, whatever. But that's the thing. Jesus actually creates one of the most clearest pictures of the gospel here. Three days, three nights, I will raise up to save the giant city. A man must die uh, and be in the ground for three days. And um, let's see. The prophecy doesn't crucify. His life becomes the prophecy. You are reluctant to preach. God uses him anyway and makes his life the prophecy. One of the clearest prophecies you can imagine. So clear that Jesus doesn't say anything else. He just says, hey, Jonah, that's all you need. This is the only sign you need to understand. This guy's life. <laughs> you see why we read this book wrong? <laughs> because if you get distracted by the giant fish, uh, like you may miss the entire point of Jonah's entire existence. Um, and And... Yeah, the skeptic can't believe that there really is a fish that's large enough to swallow a human and keep him alive inside. But if you can't believe that, like, how are you going to believe that God became man, walked among us, died, and, was rose, and rose from the dead specifically to save the great city? <laughs> that's why you put the cart before the horse if you're actually looking at this, this and, and trying to figure out, like, oh, well, is there a fish large enough to do this? That's not the point. It's a miraculous sign. <laughs> he is showing you what uh, his plan of salvation is through a miracle. And uh, he expects you to be skeptical. But he doesn't allow you to. Like, like it, it is a hard to understand story. But he holds them to a high standard. 
Why does he hold them to a high standard? Why, it seems almost like the, you know, he's being a little cruel here. He calls them evil and adulterous. He calls us, the disciples, oh, ye who have little faith. Um, like, why doesn't, like, how can he hold them to such? Does Jonah even understand this? Does Jonah even get it? I mean, not really. Like, he doesn't really necessarily know that. And, and, and you can see that later on in his life, he rebels again. But look at his words in Psalm 2. I mean, uh, in Jonah 2. We actually had the, we did this in the call of worship. You can see that this entire poem is set up under the theme of, I was going to death, but you raised me up. I was going to die, but you gave life. So he kind of sees it. In fact, let's look at that last line. Look at the last line of me right there. What's the last line that Jonah preaches? Uh, or Jonah prays from the belly of the fish? Yeah, page three. Thank you, Chris. Um, Salvation belongs to the I am. Sound familiar to anyone? Jonah from the belly of the fish, seeing this picture of death to life, cries out, Yahweh is salvation. So yes, Jonah kind of, here, let's, let's, let's look at this. All right, uh, I have an illustration. It would not be, would not be a sermon at first prayers if we did not uh, look at the whiteboard for a second. Can I, are you good? Okay. Hopefully everybody can see this. Um, I, wrote, I wrote this line, salvation belongs to the Lord, in Hebrew, on this board right here. Um, and we're going to do a little translation here. So this word right here, Yahweh, we're, we're pretty familiar with that because we, we talk about it a lot. Um, when Chris prints bulletins or, or translates the scripture, he translates this word, I am. It's the covenant name of God right here. So we, we know what that means. This is the name the sailors cry out when they realize that Jonah's going to die to save them. They cry out this name. Yeshua means salvation. We see salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the I am. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now this word Yeshua, salvation, uh, if you were to write this word in uh, the English transliteration of this word, it would be Joshua. Actually, I just spelled Joshua wrong. But anyway, point being, it would be Joshua. That's, that's what this name in Aaron, well, whatever. Point being, Joshua. Should have written that beforehand. Um, what's the Greek version? Anybody know? Jesus. So you get it when Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees and they're coming to him. They basically say, hey, Jesus, hey, salvation, give us a sign. His name literally is like, <laughs> do you, and how does that apply? Like, how do we apply this? Okay, so yeah, we can see these things are connected. What does that mean for us? Well, Jonah can't preach to the good break the great city. He can't actually engage with them. He can't even go there until he gets a picture of God's salvation of his life and death. Until he writes Jonah 2 in the belly of the where, where he says Yeshua Yahweh. He can't even preach 
What does that mean for us? How are we going to have attitudes? What's the cure for my attitude about the city, about how expensive it is, or how the governors are corrupt, or how, how, whatever evil that's going on there? You can see Nineveh is a great evil city. If you know salvation himself, if you know salvation, Jesus yours, himself, how much more can you go to the great city and proclaim his name? If he had to go this far to save Jonah, if he has to go this far to save us, if he has to put these stories in here, link them all together, and, and present them in a way that we can understand them, specifically to get to you and me. This God, we, he, it, it's, it's amazing that we interact with this, but Chris talks about this all the time. In fact, uh, in, in our worship series that we've been doing over the summer, God is seeking worshipers. This God, in the story of Jonah, is seeking so many people, uh, like, is seeking, everywhere you go, God is seeking worshipers. Jonah's running away, God pursues him. And guess what? He was looking for those sailors too. Because they proclaim his name. They make a sacrifice to him. They believe. He was looking for the Ninevites. He was seeking worshipers everywhere Jonah went. So, like, when you read this and you get the Sunday school version, the moral of the story, oh, follow God's plan. Otherwise, um, otherwise, you know, you might be punished. Yeah, kind of. But that's not the point. Jonah was never outside the plan. This was the plan. The fish was the plan. Because we can read it 800 years later. Jesus reads it and says, that's a picture of me. So take heart when you're up, you know, when we're doing ministry in the city and you screw it up and you run away or you're scared or intimidated or nervous or whatever it may be. <laughs> I'm solving my own problems in the pulpit. But, um, <laughs> take heart. Doesn't matter. God uses it anyway. And eventually he brings him back. Do you have a heart like that? Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Do you now know salvation himself? Jesus crossed the gulf of eternity. Came down, became flesh, died three days and rose again specifically to save you. Why are you not serving the great city? I shouldn't be able to stop you. Because Yeshua Yahweh Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you open these scriptures to us over time, that you show us who you are through them, that uh, your picture of your son has been weaved throughout history, uh, that we can interact with him, and that we can now know, we can have even more perspective now than Jonah and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders every did because you sent him here and he walked among us. Salvation was here for us to save us. We pray, Lord, that that would engage our hearts, set them on fire. Once we have a picture of how much it took for God to save us, out we go to the great city. So that one day, maybe at the end, in the time of judgment, Ninevites and San Franciscans will stand up and pronounce it, proclaim his name. Amen. Amen.
you would make sure you're encouraged and you're encouraged and praise our Father when He has equipment to do something. So, alright, let's come to this table now and worship. And, uh, and to lay hold of God His promises and Jesus and His love. Let's stand. Thank you. 